6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of Jeremiah, chapters 50 and 51. And as we read about Babylon, you can from time to time take some thought about the future and the destiny of this country as we increasingly, more militantly manifest our ungodliness, not only in terms of our spiritual condition of the population, but by our administrative policies which are anti-God, that are pro-secular humanism. There is, a, there is an enforced religion in the United States called secular humanism. It has a manifesto, and it is contrary to the Bible. And the more you see the Supreme Court decisions, the more you see the general tenor of our media, our administrators, our legislatures, don't be surprised as we increasingly move into an ungodly or anti-godly posture. It's tragic, especially when you realize that God will not sit back and leave it that way. He's going to do something. And what worries me is that he may do the same thing with us that he did with Judah, that is to use their enemies as his mechanism for judgment. But moving on. Verse 16, Cut off the sower from Babylon, and him that handleth the sickle in the time of harvest, for fear of the oppressing sword shall they turn every one to his people, and they shall flee every one to his own land. Israel is a scattered sheep, the lions have driven him away. First the king of Assyria hath devoured him, and last this Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, hath broken his bones. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will punish the king of Babylon and his land, and I have punished as I have punished the king of Assyria. And I will bring Israel again into his habitation, and he shall feed on Carmel and Bashan, and his soul shall be satisfied with Mount Ephraim and Gilead. In those days and at that time, saith the Lord, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought for, and there shall be none, and the sins of Judah, and they shall not be found, for I will pardon them whom I reserve." Who is that neat? Go up against the land of Marathim, and even against it, and against the inhabitants of Pecot. Waste and utterly destroy after them, saith the Lord, and do according to all that I have commanded. These are basically suburbs of, of Babylon. Sound, the sound, a sound of battle is in the land, and of great destruction. How is the hammer of the whole earth cut asunder and broken? How is Babylon become a desolation among the nations? I have laid a snare for thee, and thou art also taken, O Babylon, and thou art, as thou wast not aware, thou art found and also caught, because thou hast striven against the Lord. The Lord hath opened his armory and hath brought forth the weapons of his indignation. For this is the work of the Lord God of hosts in the land of the Chaldeans. Come against her from the utmost border, open her storehouses, cast her up as heaps, and destroy her utterly. Let nothing of her be left. Slay all our bullocks, let them go down to the slaughter. Woe unto them, for the day has come, the time of their judgment. And the voice of them that flee, 
and escape out of the land of Babylon to declare, Babylon, uh, declare in Zion the vengeance of the Lord our God and the vengeance of his temple. Call together the archers against Babylon. All ye that bend the bow, camp against it round about, let none escape. Recompense her according to her work, according to all that she hath done do unto her. For she hath been proud against the Lord, against the Holy One of Israel. The style of indictment here is going to have its same style in Revelation 17 and 18. That's what makes it so provocative. That's why it's called Mystery Babylon, as you'll see. So this, this tone you'll pick up by John in the book of Revelation. Verse 30, Therefore shall her young men follow the streets, and all of her men shall, of war shall be cut off in that day, saith the Lord. Behold, I am against thee, O thou most proud, saith the Lord God of hosts. For the day has come, the time that I will punish thee. And the most proud shall stumble and fall, and none shall raise him up. There's again the finality in this, in this language. None shall raise him up. And I will kindle a fire in the cities, and it shall devour all around about him. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the children of Israel and the children of Judah were oppressed together, and all who took them captive held them fast. They refused to let them go. Their Redeemer is strong. The Lord of hosts is his name. He shall thoroughly plead their cause, and that he may give rest to the land and disquiet the inhabitants of Babylon. The sword has come upon Chaldeans, saith the Lord, and upon the inhabitants of Babylon, and upon the princes, and upon her wise men. A sword is upon the liars, and they shall become fools. A sword is upon her mighty men, and they shall be dismayed. A sword is upon their horses, and, and upon their chariots, and upon all the mixed people that are in the midst of her, and they shall become like women. A sword is upon her treasuries, and they shall be robbed." It brought us upon her waters, and they shall be dried up. It is the land of carved images, and they are mad over their idols. Therefore the wild beasts of the desert, the wild beasts of the coasts, shall dwell there, and the ostriches shall dwell in her. And it shall no more be inhabited forever, neither shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation. As God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring cities, saith the Lord, so shall no man abide there, neither shall any son of man dwell in her. I have a hard time after that language visualizing Babylon being rebuilt. <laughs> now, in fairness, there are some scholars who feel that language, while it's very definitive and final, it's final in a local sense. That language in their mind does not uh, forego or forbid that thousands of years later it may be rebuilt. In the Hebrew, in the, in, the, in the language, linguistic expertise they have, they feel that such a view is possible. And if it is technically possible, it certainly would be misleading. Because God's clear that it seems to be clearly the intent here is to end Babylon. Example, Sodom and Gomorrah. The comparison is made here. As God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring cities, say, Lord, so shall no man abide there. Who's abiding around Sodom and Gomorrah? It's under, yeah, it's a, apparently, you know, it's a, we have a pretty good idea where it is. I haven't found it. Um, I mean, literally, you know. No man shall no man abide there, neither shall any son of man dwell in her. And uh, probably a lot of good reason. That was the center of idolatry, the center of Satan worship on the planet Earth. And there's, you know, if you, if you, if you did build there, you'd probably have some interesting company. Um, to understand Babylon, we started in Genesis 10, we're getting a flavor of it here, and we're going to hit it before the evening's over a little more depth. Babylon was the mother of every heathen system. Everything you think of, pagan-wise, 
idol-worshipping-wise, and rebellion of God, had its roots in Babylon. We can sense that from Genesis 10 and Nimrod having founded it, the power to heaven and the uh, confusion of tongues, and we see it in its whole history. Egypt is the world, yes, but Babylon is idolatry. Now, do you and I feel that we're worshiping Babylonian ideas? Let's, to, to answer that question, you have to have some perspective of what kind of ideas have their roots in Babylon. Well, let me mention a few things. Do you have 60 seconds in a minute and 60 minutes in an hour? That's from Babylon. Do you have 360 degrees in a circle? That's from Babylon. The science of astronomy came to the Western world when Alexander the Great conquered the Medes and the Persians and was going to make Babylon his headquarters before he died. Babylon obviously is also the source of astrology, but don't be confused by that. Many of, much of our knowledge of astronomy had its roots in Babylon also. Those guys were very knowledgeable about the celestial um, system. That was all tangled up in their false worship, which gives us this, the field of astrology, the worship of these heavenly things. What you and I call astrology is a very narrow piece of what the Babylonians call astrology. I mean, this idea of being born under sign and so forth, this one narrow piece of astrology, the field of astrology is much weirder and broader than that, and just and very much as, de as demonic. Oh, another thing, the in the Babylonian traditions, Nimrod takes a wife, Semiramis. They have a supernaturally born son called Tammuz. The first letter of his name, which is what you and I would call a T, was written the way you and I would draw a cross. That becomes his symbol. He is a sun god worshiping kind of idol. He is considered to have died at the winter solstice, that time of the year when the days are the shortest and the nights the longest. The sun god is thought to have died, and they did a ceremony to bring him back to life. What they did was they burned a log, and the name for infant in Chaldean is Yule. It was a Yule log. And the log was burned one night in a ceremony. And the next morning, they took a trimmed tree in the house to celebrate the rebirth of Tammuz. And they did this about the winter, the winter solstice, which occurs on our calendar about December 21st, 22nd. And, through, and what happens to this whole, the concept of the wasable, the mistletoe, the fertility thing, the, all of this stuff had its roots in Babylon. When the Persians conquer Babylon, that religious system gets transferred to Pergamos, the Persian city. That's why in the letters to seven churches, we can have the letter to the church at Pergamos where Satan's seat is. Then the Persians get conquered by the Greeks, and the Greeks get conquered by the Romans. That whole system moves to Rome. The leadership in Rome, the emperors, what have you, take on the titles of these high priests from Babylon. And the Romans give their names to the same gods. All the pagan, all the idols in pagan Rome are Latin names for the same gang of characters that were worshipped by the Babylonians. And you see it coming. In the 3rd century, 312 AD, Constantine gets converted. Quotes.
whether it's a, whether it was shrewd politics or something else, I'm not in a position to judge. But what he does do, he recognizes that this underground religion called Christianity is so widespread. It's a very popular strategic political move to no longer declare it illegal, but to declare it the state religion. And so from the, from the, from the rags of the caves, they exchange it for the silks of the court. We, Christianity becomes fashionable. Now the whole culture, the population, is used to worshiping all these pagan rites. One of them was a Saturnalia about December 25th, where they celebrate all this stuff. What they do? They adapted, renamed, adapted these things to the New Deal. Not unreasonable. That's what people are. You know, you pick the best and try to take that what you're used to. You know, we do the same thing. We take various holidays and sort of twist them around to whatever our sort of cultural mood is. So you know exactly what happened in Rome. So much of what you and I embrace as church tradition, if you can't substantiate it in the Bible directly, the chances are very good you will find that practice in a textbook on ancient Babylonian rites and mysteries. Bishop Alexander Hislop, H-I-S-S-L-O-P, wrote a book called The Two Babylons. And what the book does, it describes ancient Babylon and it describes the Babylon in Revelation. And uh, the book is not totally reliable. It's got some argumentative things in it, so I'm not here to endorse it all. But it's a definitive classic work published when I think in the 17th or 1800th. It's an old book, but it's in print. You can find it in a, in a well-stocked store. And, uh, but it's a, it's a scholarly treatise on that tries to point out that so much of our church traditions have their roots not in the first century AD, but in several, you know, more than a thousand BC in the, in, in this, in the city called Babylon. So that's why, and I'm getting ahead of the story here, but that's why when, when in the book of Revelation, the Holy Spirit deals with mystery Babylon. It's not talking about literal Babylon, brick and mortar, you know, 50 miles south of Baghdad. That's not the Babylon it's talking about. It's talking about mystery Babylon, the world system that the world is in now and will more, more conspicuously be involved in. The mother of harlots and abominations on the earth in the language of the book of Revelation. We'll get there. But I don't prattle on too long with these distractions. Well, one small thing, since I did talk about Cyrus, I'm just going to noticing my notes here. Uh, one thing you might get a big kick out of. Remember I said that Cyrus gave the permission for them to go back to, you know, um, when he conquered Babylon? Something you might get a kick out of is take a look at the book of Ezra. Ezra and Nehemiah, of course, are the, um, are the books of the return. You know, the Babylonians are conquered by the Persians. Cyrus the Persian gives them, says, hey, you guys can go home. The book of Ezra. I want to just look at the first couple of verses of the book of Ezra to give you an insight into this guy Cyrus, as long as we've touched on that to give you perspective. Ezra. Okay, that's to the left. Left of Psalms. Okay. Ezra chapter 1, verse 1, Now in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, so that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah the prophet might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, notice what Cyrus publishes as a memo to the world. Verse 2, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the, nation, all the kingdoms of the earth. 
and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. That's pretty wild for a ruler of the earth to declare. The Lord God of heaven, boy, what a Jewish thing for a Gentile to say, hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth. Notice it's not like Nebuchadnezzar that, hey, I did this. Remember Nebuchadnezzar got on his pride trip in Daniel 4? Cyrus here, at least if nothing else, uses the idiom of the Hebrews in proclaiming that God hath given him all the kingdoms of the earth and hath charged me to build him a house and so forth. And it goes on here in Ezra. You can read that on your own. But Cyrus, in effect, kicks off the book of Ezra. All right, let's. Uh, I uh, got a little distracted here. Let's. Um, I had some reason for. I guess I got down to verse 33. Back to chapter 50, verse Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 33. 40? Did I get down to 40? I beg your pardon. Oh, yes, right. I'm sorry. I got down to the yes. Verse 39 and 40, I mark in my Bible because it's, again, one of these declarations that, that is going to be important to have an opinion about because it, it'll help you uh, form a view of the book of Revelation when we get there. Verse 41, Behold, the people shall come from the north, a great nation, and many kings shall be raised up from the borders of the earth, and they shall hold the bow and the lance. They are cruel and will not show mercy. Their voice shall roar like the sea, and they shall ride upon horses, and every one put in array like a man to battle against thee, O daughter of Babylon. The king of Babylon had heard the report of them, and his hands became feeble. Anguish took hold of him, and pangs as of a woman in travail. You know, really fascinates me. I have never done a count how often that phrase is used of judgment in the Bible. Like a woman in travail. Earth pangs. The Lord himself did that in Matthew 24. In verse 44, Behold, he shall come up like a lion from the swelling of the Jordan into the, unto the inhabitants of the strong, but I will make them suddenly run away from her. And who is a chosen man that I may appoint over her? For who is like me, who will appoint me the time, and who is that shepherd that will stand before me? Therefore hear ye the counsel of the Lord, and he that hath taken that he hath taken against Babylon, and his purposes that he hath purposed against the land of the Chaldeans, surely the least of the flock shall draw them out, surely he shall make their habitation desolate with them. At the noise of the taking of Babylon, the earth is moved, and the cry is heard among the nations. Chapter fifty one continuing. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up against Babylon and against those who dwell in the midst of those who rise up against me a destroying wind. And I will send into Babylon winnowers that shall fan her and shall empty her land. And For in the day of trouble shall uh, they shall be against her round about. Against him who bendeth, let the archer bend his bow. And against him who lifteth up uh, in his coat of mail and spare not her young men, utter, uh, destroy utterly all her host. Thus the slain shall fall in the land of the Chaldeans, and they who are thrust through in her streets. And Israel hath not been forsaken, nor Judah of his God, of the Lord of hosts, though their land was filled with sin against the Holy One of Israel. Flee out of the midst of Babylon, and deliver every man his soul. Incidentally, I'll pause here to make one interesting mystical observation. It's interesting that seven times in the Bible there's the command to come out of Babylon, and the context is always to come out of Babylon and go to Jerusalem. In the Old Testament, you have it here in the very literal sense. In the book of Revelation, you have it in a more uh, broader sense. Interesting. You'd be, a, be sensitive to that. Flee out of the midst of Babylon and deliver every man his soul. Be not cut off in her iniquity in this uh, for this is the time of the Lord's vengeance. He shall render unto her a recompense. 
Babylon hath been a golden cup in the Lord's hands, and hath made all the earth drunk. And the nations have drunk her wine, therefore the nations are mad. Babylon is suddenly fallen and destroyed. Wail for her, take balm for her pain. If so be, she may be healed. We would have healed Babylon, but she is not healed. Forsake her and let us go every one into his own country, for her judgment reaches unto heaven and is lifted up even to the skies. The Lord hath brought forth our righteousness. Come, uh, let us declare uh, in Zion the work of the Lord our God. Make bright the arrows, gather up the shields. The Lord hath raised up the spirit of the kings of the Medes for his purposes against Babylon to destroy it. So there's specifically the alliance. The Medes and the Persians are the ones that are both mentioned here and the ones that do, in fact, rise up against Babylon. Okay, because it is the vengeance of the Lord, the vengeance of his temple. Set up the standard upon the walls of Babylon. Make the watch strong. Set up the watchmen. Prepare the ambushes. For the Lord hath both purposed that and, and done that which he spoke against the inhabitants of Babylon. O thou that dwellest upon the many waters, abundant in treasures, thine end is come, and the measure of thy covetousness. The Lord of hosts hath sworn by himself, saying, Surely I will fill thee with men as with caterpillars, and they will lift up a shout against thee. That's a phrase that seems foreign to us, but that's indicative of a plague or a, like locusts or a, if you visualize the caterpillars like like a, a, a plague or a um, pestilence destroying crops coming through and eating everything in sight stripping the land that's sort of what's that's the connotation of the term caterpillar here he hath made the earth by his power he hath established the worlds by his wisdom and he hath stretched out the heavens by his understanding when he uttereth his voice there is a multitude of the waters in the heavens and he causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth he maketh lightnings with rain, and bringeth forth the wind out of his treasuries. Every man is stupid by his knowledge. Every goldsmith is confounded by the engraved image, for his melted image is falser, and there is no breath in them. They are vanity, the work of errors. In the time of their judgment they shall perish. The portion of Jacob is not like them, for he is the one who formed all things, and Israel is the rod of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. There's a relationship that here is called, you know, very, very special between Jacob and Israel and the, and the God who created the universe. Heavy language, strange language. The links between the creator of the universe and his proprietary interests in Judah. Thou art my battle axe and the weapons of war, for with thee will I break in pieces the nations, and with thee I will, will I destroy kingdoms, and with thee will I break in, in pieces the horse and his rider, and with thee will I break in pieces the chariot and his rider, with thee also will I break in pieces the man and woman, and with thee will I break in pieces old and young, and with thee will I break in pieces the young and the young man and the maid. I will also break in pieces with thee the shepherd and his flock, and with thee I will break in pieces the farmer and his yoke of oxen, and with thee will I break in pieces the captains and rulers, and I will render unto Babylon and to all the inhabitants of Chaldea all their evil that they have done in Zion and at your sight, saith the Lord. Behold, I am against thee, O thou destroying mountain, saith the Lord, that destroyest all the earth, and I will stretch out mine hand upon thee, and will roll thee down from the rocks, and will make thee a burnt mountain. For they shall not take thee a stone for a corner, nor a stone for foundations, but thou shalt be desolate forever, saith the Lord. Interesting phrase that is picked up later, of course, by Paul. The stones the builders rejected has made the headstone of the corner, and so forth. But thou shalt be desolate forever. There's that phrase again. Permanent stuff here. Set up the standard of the land, blow the trumpet among the nations, prepare the nations against her, call against, uh, together against her the kingdom of Ararat, Mini, Ashkenaz. Appoint a captain against her because the horses to come 
and cause the horses to come up like the rough caterpillars. Now Ararat, Mini and Ashkenaz, Ararat is the Uartu of the Assyrian inscriptions, basically Armenia north of Lake um, Van, uh, mentioned in Genesis 8.4. Mini is the Manians south of Lake Irma, and west, this is West Iran, really, um, warlike people. The, uh, the Ashkenaz are somewhat, in this time, identified with the Scythians, nomads, east of Lake Ermia, uh, mentioned in Genesis 10.3. The word Scythians becomes synonymous with barbarian, actually. Uh, Herodotus points out that the Scythians conquered the Sumerians. Uh, that links to, they in turn conquered the Gomer and, and Gomer's Germany, and today the word Ashkenazi in Hebrew implies a Germanic background, not necessarily Armenian Scythian, but the word originally comes from that that route, so no big deal, but I mentioned in battle. Verse 28, prepare against her the nations with the kings of the Medes, their captains and all their rulers, and their land of the dominion, and the land shall tremble in sorrow. For every purpose of the Lord shall be performed against Babylon, to make the land of Babylon a desolation without an inhabitant. The mighty men of Babylon have foreborne to fight. They have remained in their strongholds. They might have failed. They became like women. They burned her dwelling places, her bars broken. One post shall run to meet another, and one messenger to meet another, to show the king of Babylon that his city is taken at one end, and that the fords are seized. Okay, that is the moat, okay? And the reeds have been burned with fire, and the men of war are in a panic. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, the daughter of Babylon is like a threshing floor. It is time to thrash her, yet a little while, and the time of her harvest shall come. Here's one of those passages that relate to this judgment as a thrashing floor. And uh, for those of you that are typologists that like the book of Ruth, here we have Boaz, and there's the thrashing floor scene. Where is Ruth at the time of the thrashing floor? At Boaz's feet. Strange idiom, but if you press the type, it's kind of interesting that she's at Boaz's feet during the thrashing floor event. So... You can make, if you know what I'm talking about, you can chase that down. If you don't, don't worry about it. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Jeremiah. Download the new K House TV app to access an ever growing collection of free resources. Visit the Apple or Android App Store and search K-House TV on your Roku or Fire TV streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.